Welcome to the Forward Minds podcast. I'm your host, Joy Asfar. Join me every month as we meet entrepreneurs and innovators who are propelling change in the world of sustainability. Listen to their stories and discover how they are shaping a new lifestyle. Welcome back to a new episode of The Forward Minds. Today, I'll be talking with Anna Brightman, co-founder of UpCircle, an exciting beauty brand with a positive impact. UpCircle collects used coffee grounds from coffee shops throughout London to produce sustainable skincare products. Stay tuned to discover how they are turning your morning coffee into amazing beauty products while saving 80 tons of coffee grounds from going to landfills. Hello, Anna. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you here for the first season of the podcast. I'm excited to be there. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So just to kick things off, I'd like to ask you about your personal story. I think it's always interesting to understand your journey, how you got there. Were you always interested in beauty and more specifically sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that my interest in skincare and beauty definitely came about as a teenager, as it often does for lots of girls. Um, became really interested in it. I, I'm the oldest girl in my family. So I've only got uh, one older sibling who is my brother and then a, a younger sister. So okay. my mom never wears makeup or anything like that. She's um, extremely simple. In her, and natural. Uh, yeah, in her routines. <laughs> so I remember the first time I wore makeup was going to a friend's house and their big sister put it on and it was just a game changer. So I really wanted to be a makeup artist for years but wasn't really, that wasn't something, let's say, that my school would even know what to do with. Uh, I'd go in with prospectuses for these really amazing makeup schools and they were just like, what is, I didn't even know makeup was a career. I didn't even, <laughs> you know, just no idea. So I guess their reaction slightly put me off and I thought, okay, maybe, maybe that isn't a career. Maybe that's not something that you can make money from. Maybe that is just a hobby. So let's keep it that way. And I, I went, you know, as often people do down the more traditional route and, and was just a bit afraid, I guess, to, to follow my actual passions. So I went through uni and then several jobs as a, in my early twenties that were good. You know, I, I was pretty successful at a young age, lots of responsibility, managing people. I was always keen to be a manager. That was also something that was really important or at least to be my own boss, but I do enjoy managing people as well. But then yes, ultimately felt a bit unfulfilled, like, okay, still in my early twenties, <laughs> uh, but very much on a career path, which is a long road ahead and coming home from work with you know, a nice car and a nice paycheck, but still feeling a bit crap. <laughs> so um, that was that was kind of the situation that I was in, uh, where I had that itch, I guess, to come up with a, a great new idea and to do something different and to do something that did mm -hmm. combine my genuine passions. But also from the sustainability perspective, or the overall ethics, I wanted to make sure that It made me feel good because it was what I was interested in, but it also made me feel good because it wasn't a giant corporate that had some questionable motivations and some questionable practices. I, I wanted to be able to stand behind it from an ethical perspective in every way as well. Amazing. Well, absolutely. I understand that completely. I think I went through the same little journey also. So fast forward a little bit, we get to the beginning of UpCircle, which you founded with your brother. So it's kind of a family affair. Yes. How did you kickstart the process? I know you did a Kickstarter campaign. I know also that you went to Dragon's Den, which must have been a very <laughs> exciting and scary at the same time experience. 
Do you want to tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, of course. So I think at the start, you just have to take, and, and even now, to be honest, we, we maintain this sort of mentality of just saying yes to absolutely every single opportunity. You know, nothing's above me, nothing's below me. Uh, when you're trying to grow a brand, you just want to be enthusiastic about absolutely everything and, and, and kind of do as much as you possibly can. So this was the approach particularly that we took at the very start. So for example, we were booking up every single trade and consumer show that was coming our way, no matter how tenuous the link was. Um, sure, vegan food shows, that kind of makes sense. Skincare shows, of course, that makes sense, but also everything else. Fitness shows, yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, uh, we, we were doing as many as we possibly can. And the very first one, which was the London Coffee Festival, was actually where we met our first retail partner without even realizing it, which was Urban Outfitters. So for us, it moved very, very quickly from day one. As you mentioned, yeah, started the business with my brother. So the both of us quit our jobs. Uh, he was able to quit sooner than I was because I had a longer notice period. So he was setting things up whilst I was finishing up my job. But then when I actually began, like a couple of months later, there were little things that he was doing that I thought were a bit crazy, like paying nearly a thousand pounds a month in rent for essentially a shoebox uh, <laughs> office in in Hackney in uh, in London. So we both then um, spoke to our mum and dad <laughs> and said, hey, look, you know, rents for office space are crazy and it's just us two. You know, we don't live at home anymore. Uh, is there any way you'd be open to us, you know, coming back into the house and uh, and using it as an office? And that's what we did for two years, which was really a game changer for us in terms of, you know, pinching the pennies and saving up and being able to put more money back into the actual growth of the brand for the early years. Of course. Really important for us. And then, yes, as you mentioned, Dragon's Den. That was a crazy whirlwind experience, as, as I'm sure <laughs> uh, you can imagine. I would uh, be very scared, to be honest. Oh, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. I remember sitting in the in the hotel the night before and thinking, okay, like, how are we going to split this up? How are we going to how are we going to come about the questions that happen so that we're not squabbling over each other or like, you know, let's give it a bit of structure. Uh, and it's absolutely nothing like what you see on TV, as people often say with television. We were actually in there for nearly three hours, which was just extremely intense, taking hard hitting questions. But William's background is in finance. So that was a huge asset. I'm for sure. Us. <laughs> I'm sure. But I guess this experience really helped you to pinpoint the product and know what people were looking for. Uh, so all in all, I guess a really good experience, even though super scary. Definitely. And it went really well for us. We got three offers of investment. And I think also as a family run brand, particularly, it can be quite difficult to get really honest critique and feedback of what you're doing. So we were actually halfway through a rebrand process at the time that we went on. So we were actually pitching a brand that we were making lots of changes to behind the scenes, but we had to pitch what was already on the market. So all of the critique that we got from the dragons was good for us to hear because it was mine and William's own fears, I guess, of the things that we thought weren't great. But no one else had ever told them. To of us. course. You give them to your family and they say, oh my God, amazing. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. No one's going to say, actually, I don't think You need to works. change something. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. So it's, it's great to have this experience and also the a real critique exactly. of the business. Exactly. So, so you got to, so I would like to talk about coffee now, which is the, for the moment, the main ingredient in your product. Yes. To give everyone an idea, in the UK, people drink 70 million cups of coffee a day. Crazy. Which amounts to 500,000 tons of used coffee grounds each year. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot of waste, obviously. 
And if any of, any of us drink coffee, they know, you know, that we have this waste that we put in the, in the bin every day. Mm -hmm. But at UpCircle, you found a use for it. So my question is, how did you think of skincare when you decided to work with coffee grounds, with used coffee grounds, actually? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing with coffee waste, which is a really common misconception of course it's it's an organic natural ingredient right and you can you can sprinkle it on your your flowers or your lawn at home and it's going to have no negative environmental impact whatsoever and that's great the difference with what we're doing is that we are collecting it on an industrial scale from businesses where they're throwing away between 15 and 25 kilograms plus per day and they dispose of it in black bin bags and it gets taken by the local council to landfill sites and on these landfill sites it rots and it, uh, it's when it rots that it produces methane which is a greenhouse gas so it, it doesn't get the uh, chance to aerobically degrade like it would do if you were just throwing it away from your own home onto you know onto your plants and and that's the difference that's why it has the uh, negative environmental side of things that we've decided to intercept the reason that we chose to use it in skincare is because it has loads of skincare benefits essentially at the time at which we launched the brand which was 2016 it was quite short after the microbead scandal where Everyone was waking up to the realization that lots of us didn't even know, I guess, that loads and loads, the vast majority, in fact, of toothpastes and exfoliators are made with these tiny plastic balls, which can never, ever be taken back out of the water system because they're so small. And then they get eaten by fish and some people choose to eat fish and then they're inside our own bodies and the cycle goes round and round. <laughs> of course. And then it's a non-ending cycle. Exactly. So that was one reason alone, you know, uh, coffee is a fantastic natural exfoliator. It's soft, but it's more thorough than a plastic microbead because it's naturally, each particle is slightly different. Uh, so it's great for buffing away dead or dry skin, leaving you very smooth. Uh, there are other brands that make coffee scrubs and, and did so before before we did that's that's not you know we were not the first people to come up with this concept but we were the first people to do it with used coffee grounds so we did lots of research around the difference between fresh coffee and used coffee as well just to make sure really that there was absolutely no quality issue here at all or anything like that and we found out for example that the level of antioxidants in used coffee actually increases through the brewing process Oh, and wow. antioxidants, for any skincare buffs out there will know, mm. are what fight free radicals, which are what cause the signs of aging. So things like fine lines and wrinkles. So in skincare, ingredients with high levels of antioxidants are a great thing. So this was another win. And then so that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. There was, it was becoming more and more of a no brainer the more we looked into it. And then the final kind of, well, key, there's loads, but the final one that I'll mention is the brightening effect of coffee for skincare which we use it in different forms. So we extract the oil for things like our eye cream or our face serum, but we also use the actual physical grounds in our body and face exfoliators. So for your body, as the caffeine absorbs into your skin, it, it encourages blood flow or it brings the blood to your surface of the skin. So for things like minor scarring or cellulite, it can be good for displacing that. And on the face, uh, hence using it in an eye cream, it can 
as the blood comes to the surface of the skin, it has a brightening effect. And, we, and so take away the dark circles, exactly. for example, which is yeah. great. Yeah. So if I got it right, when you get the used coffee grounds, you either use them as they are, as coffee grounds, or you make an oil out of it. That's yes. how you... Okay, perfect. So yeah. that makes sense. We try to get as much as we possibly can. That's our whole kind of ethos, right? So we've, we've got the ingredient. We've got huge quantities of the ingredient now. We've really scaled up that operation, collecting from hundreds of coffee shops across the city. And it worked so well in the scrubs, which is what we released first. But then... We were getting people saying, oh, have you, have you got a coffee oil? Have you got a coffee serum? Have you got a coffee eye cream? And we were like, not yet, but let's do it. So we did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Amazing. And so now you're expanding to other ingredients, yes. which I find extremely exciting because it shows that the possibilities are endless, especially when you work with coffee shops. So if I'm not mistaken, it's fruit stones and chai tea leaves. Yeah, absolutely. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's correct. We... We now have a repurposed ingredient portfolio that numbers 10 different byproducts from varied industries across the globe. How exciting. Um, it's, oh, it's, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the job. I'm sure. <laughs> is, is new product development. And I think now, you know, we're five years in, we've made a bit of a name for ourselves as the brand that do this, you know, the brand that source byproducts and turn them into skincare. So it would not be an exaggeration to say that pretty much every single day I get largely businesses, but also individuals coming to me saying, hey, you know, I, I make chai for cafes and restaurants uh, in syrup form. And I brew through a beautiful mixture of chai spices to make chai syrups, but I can only pour the water through them once. They still smell absolutely incredible. Is there something that you can do with that? Or, you know, I, I own an olive oil plantation in the Mediterranean. And as I make the olive oil, you know, all the stones are crushed but left behind uh, is there something that you can do with that and this is sort of what happens time and time again or it might come from my observations of everyday life so for example one of the premises that we own here in London is a railway arch which is kind of like a storage facility and all of the other arches are florists so I noticed that they throw away all of their unsold flowers every Tuesday so now we're working on using uh, discarded flower petals in, in future bath products. So it's it's exciting. How exciting. It's, really it's exciting. super exciting. And <laughs> as I said, the possibilities are really endless. And what I love is that people are actually getting in touch with you, thinking about their, their waste and, you know, what they're going to do with it. Yeah. Which takes me to actually, you answered my question, my next question, which was about product development. Yes. You start looking by the, at the waste or uh, the specific product that you want to develop but I guess that's it goes both ways in it, a yeah sense. it completely depends I think we we have both a wish list of ingredients that we want to work with or byproducts and then we have a wish list of products that we want to make so for example you know we've just come out of 2020 and uh, the pandemic hit and so some of our uh, priorities for new product product development um, changed. So it was, it was really important to us that we started work on a hand sanitizer and a really good gentle hand wash and also a hand lotion. Hands aren't necessarily the top, top, top priority when you're a brand still just trying to get one of everything out, if that makes sense. Of course. But all of a sudden, you know, okay, we need to make those products. But then equally, we've got this, it's like a matchmaking process. You've got the, the, the products on your wish list, and then you've got the ingredients on your wish list. And it's a case of then, okay, well, uh, gin distillery byproducts, for example, which we're looking at may work really well in a hand sanitizer. You know, it's got that alcohol content, the strong scent, you know, antibacterial, that's that, you know, and that's how it works. So 
it's not necessarily that one comes first or the other comes first. They're both sort of happening at the same time. And then it's, okay, we want to make a night cream. So we need something incredibly gentle and incredibly nourishing. What have we got on our ingredient wish list that we could pair with that? And it was the same with the flower petals. They obviously have a physical texture, a bit like a coffee ground or the chai spices. So you have to think, okay, well, this has to be a product that, you know, is it, is it in oil form? Is it in water form? Is it in a physical texture? Uh, and so all of those things have to be considered as well to to complete that matchmaking process that it's it really is a matchmaking process actually that's amazing and you're you're chemists at the same time yeah it's really exciting to to go back a little bit to the coffee as you said you you work with more than 100 coffee shops in london how hard was it to convince them to work with you because sometimes when you come up with such a a groundbreaking solution uh, it might add some logistics issue for them was it easy to work with them? Is it something that came along quite easily? Uh, good question. I think the with with the ingredient sourcing uh, process, we have to make sure that it, it benefits absolutely everyone along the chain. And that's definitely the case with the coffee. So if we do not collect the coffee, then they have to pay the local council who provide these special bin bags and, and it's a cost for them. Yeah, that sounds crazy, actually. Yeah. That they have to pay... I had no idea about that. That was that was the it was William who went into his coffee shop that he used to go into every single morning on the on his way to work at his previous job who told him that and he thought oh my god okay I didn't know that even existed. Uh, how would you feel if I just popped by at the end of each day and just took from you whatever you've produced in that day? And he was like yeah go for it that sounds great. And that was exactly the kind of approach that we saw happen time and time and time and time again. So um, the fact that it's a mutually beneficial agreement works out for everyone. Yeah, of course. And And it's free for them. And Yeah, exactly. And and, and so it really is a win-win. And then it was just a case, you know, of scaling that process up. Last year was obviously very difficult because we previously had coffee shops that were centered in sort of high tourist footfall locations. And... All of a sudden, more than 60% of them have permanently closed, but more than 90% of them were temporarily closed. So it was things like that when you're when you're relying on byproducts and, and the functioning of other industries really become a lot more challenging when you're hit with a global pandemic. So that was not something that we could have foreseen. And we had to get really right back to the entrepreneurial spirit and roots and thinking outside the box to to kind of problem solve that. But generally, the process has been easy and the process of scaling it has been relatively, uh, well, for, in terms of getting coffee shops, it's been uncomplicated. Uh, in terms of the manufacturing, it's slightly more complicated, but okay. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> and, but I remember you were telling me when we met uh, that, if I, I might get it wrong, but that the coffee grounds have an expiry date by the time you get them, or I mean, not an expiry date, but you have to get them to your facility in a sense, in a specific timeline. Yes. Yes. That's definitely true. So it's, if, I mean, if you think about the process of of that coffee goes through, I suppose by the time it's, it's the output, it's both moist and warm. And that's basically the perfect conditions for bacteria to grow. So that's obviously not what we want. We do not want people to be, (laughs) we're not encouraging the, the use of old, or moldy coffee grounds on your face. So our process is incredibly quick and it's incredibly fresh. And that's, again, I guess, something that people don't necessarily realize. Sometimes when I'm hearing people describe what we do and they say, oh, they're a really cool brand. They use old coffee grounds. And I'm like, oh my God, it's the opposite. (laughs) It's actually incredibly new coffee grounds, (laughs) newer than if you bought it fresh. And yeah, it's, it's very, very quick. So we collect it each day, as I mentioned. It's not stored up 
It's not, you know, a week's worth. It's every single day we we collect the coffee and then it's processed the very next day. So it's quick and it's fresh. And, and once it's made, it's it's preserved by, you know, the oils that are in there and things like that. So yeah, nice and fresh. It's a big logistics, actually. It's a lot oh, of logistics yes. on your side, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's uh, it's not simple, which I think is the reason why we're the only brand that I'm aware of anyway, and I, I do search, who have managed to scale it up. You know, the small small operations who might have a partnership with one coffee shop or something, but supplying you know, and selling hundreds of thousands of these scrubs per year across the entire world is, uh, yes, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. And talking about the amount that you're uh, rescuing in terms of coffee grounds, uh, what's the environmental impact that you're having? Because I know you have, I mean, you gave me the numbers, but I think... Yeah, can... so we have, so far, we've saved 350 tons of used coffee. And then based on the rate at which we're growing, uh, we've we've worked out that it should be approximately 1,000 tons within the next five years. So it's big impact. And that's, as I say, that's just one of our ingredients. Coffee grounds is just just one. So the the impact that we can have on, on a wider scale with loads of other things as well. You know, we released a toner for example in the end of October 2020 so you know just a few months ago and that's made with two byproducts so not just one two oh wow it's got chamomile stem extract which is a byproduct from the tea industry and it's also got the residual water of mandarin fruit which is a byproduct of the juicing industry and again through some quite complicated calculations that I will admit my brother did. I did not do. <laughs> We've saved, I think it's nearly 6,000 mandarin fruits into that so far. And that's only been out a few a few months. That's so crazy. It's, it's exciting to think about how these statistics can multiply as our, as our range expands. That's really exciting. And the more you're going, the more you're going to come with some more byproducts. I which hope is, so. <laughs> of course. Uh, one thing I'd love to talk about is... In a way, the perception of using waste mm. in beauty products, using waste in the fashion industry is becoming common practice. I yes. mean, it's common practice nowadays, upcycling, fabrics made of recycled plastic bottles. Yep. But when it comes to beauty products, I wonder if the public is as open to it, if mm. you actually know that, you know, your beauty products are made of yeah. used <laughs> coffee grounds. Yeah. <laughs> I would say it's definitely more challenging, or I think actually... I, it probably wouldn't be an exaggeration to say we couldn't have chosen a more difficult industry to try to tackle this concept in. And I think that in the early days, in particular, as I mentioned, you you try and take on as many opportunities as possible, but you also try and take on lots of advice from mentors or people that are already mm -hmm. in the industry. Uh, so investors and mentors all told us, okay, yeah, it's a cool idea, but maybe don't shout about it or maybe you know have that going on behind the scenes. But I don't think that consumers or the beauty industry is ready for a concept like yours. So that's actually why we had to go through that rebrand two years later, because we did listen to people's advice and we did hide it. And then actually we really regretted that because we thought, you know, this is actually what makes us completely different. And so long as we can communicate, like with the coffee, that actually these ingredients are not, not of any lesser value. They're not old. They haven't depleted in quality in any way. They're literally just being reimagined. And in some cases, they're even better quality than if you were to have bought it fresh. They just also have the added bonus of this really cool provenance and story behind each individual product, which is not something that any other brand can, can say. So that is, in fact, you know, we went through this rebrand and we undid all of those decisions and we designed the entire brand, including the name and everything else that comes along with it 
to shout about the circular economy ethos and the fact that we are trying to use byproducts to do something really cool and innovative. And since we did that, the brand has just absolutely shot through the roof and grown at crazy, crazy rates. And so I think, yes, in short, it's very difficult to be the first to do something. And tackling issues of waste in the beauty industry are two things that operate on the opposite ends of the scale. And it's difficult to marry those two together. Mm -hmm. But if you can think about things with a lot of logic and a lot of care with regards to the words that you use and the communication strategy and the branding, you know, if you can make a, let's not make this a really niche eco product that's all green and hemp and hessian, you know, let's go for a more mass market appeal. Let's keep the good attractive price point and let's make it something that people can be proud to show off in their bathrooms. And then that a whole eco story, even if you don't care about, you know, uh, environmental issues, doesn't matter because the products are really good and they look really great. So I cannot find what went into it. <laughs> I cannot agree more in the with your uh, stance of making the products look good. It has to look as good as, you know, a non-eco product in a sense. And exactly. that's why people are converted. They yes. have to, if they have to make a swap, like those sustainable swaps that we're talking about, they shouldn't have to make a trade-off in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was some resistance, I guess, but you managed to, uh, I didn't know actually that you changed your communication and that you rebranded from, you know, shouting like an eco brand. I found that really interesting. I think people were actually ready to hear it, which is a Absolutely. really interesting point. Yeah. yeah. And it's just completely different, isn't it? There's nothing else quite like it. And um, once once you've tried the products, you know, that has to be the first thing. That's another thing that I often find that, that brands make the mistake of uh, is that they let their story override the actual reason that someone's buying their product in the first place. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if you're looking for a a moisturizer, you want it to moisturize your skin. If you're looking for an SPF, you want it to protect your skin. Like that's why you're actually going out to buy the product. So that has to be the most important part of it. But if you can prove that your moisturizer or whatever your product is, is better than your competitors and it looks great and it's got the cool story exactly. and it's a reasonable price, then then you win. Then you have everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it's perfect. So back to the beauty industry, uh, as you were saying, it's a very tough industry to enter, mm. uh, very high barriers to entry. I'm just wondering, except the, you know, the waste perception, uh, what were the other challenges that you faced or any lessons learned in this industry, I guess? I think uh, competition is extremely hard in this industry. So I get asked again, because obviously we've, we've done pretty well for ourselves quite quickly, get people contacting us every single day saying, hey, look, I really want to start a skincare brand. Mm-hmm. My idea is that my skincare is going to be vegan. Uh, what do you think? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> right, fine. <laughs> but, but the fact that you're choosing to make vegan skincare is absolutely by no stretch of the imagination enough to set you aside from the hundreds, if not thousands of other people who think that that's going to be a new and innovative idea. So I think, you know, it's it's difficult because consumers are looking for an awful lot and they care, as naturally you would, about the products that they're putting onto their skin. And so, yeah, there, there are an awful lot of tick boxes to, to cover off, you know, vegan, cruelty-free, natural, organic, uh, sustainable packaging, locally sourced, um, fair trade, no palm oil. <laughs> the, the list is so long. Endless. And uh, it can be very difficult, particularly in the early stages, to achieve all of those at the same time. So I think my advice often is don't don't expect that your product will be perfect on day one. It will be a case of it evolving. And 
two weeks ago, we re-released our very first product, which was our coffee scrubs in brand new packaging. Um, And we released those products five years ago. But just because they've been out on the market for so long doesn't mean that they're immune from being improved. And I think that's what continues to, you know, make our brand grow more and more and more is that 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 attitude of constant improvement and listening, I guess, to our customers and what they want and some of the feedback of what they find most frustrating about our products or what they think could be better, and then being willing to make those changes. And our sales of those original coffee scrubs have absolutely shot through the roof since we made this packaging switch. And yet, we, you know, if, if you're unwilling to make that change, then I find that to be yeah, just a little bit backward or, or stubborn. Really. Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, I think the competition side of things is probably the most difficult. And also you will always be held back by things that you can't control. And I find that mostly to be the case with things like packaging. So packaging is a hugely important topic. In, in the beauty industry. It's probably the main reason that the industry has its appalling reputation for sustainability, because the products require lots of parts that have multi-materials. So think of you know, the pumps in the top of a product or pipettes that have rubber and plastic and glass and all of these things make them difficult to recycle. And it's hard when you are not a packaging manufacturer yourself because you have to rely on what's available and what's at a reasonable price. But again, it's that same attitude of just committing as the brand owner to always staying up to date on the latest innovations and being willing to change your products as and when something better is, is, is available. Of course, and in in packaging, also what's really tough in the beauty industry is that the, I mean the, the the cream or the product inside has some you know it has to be packaged in some ways that it, it's not going to go bad in yeah, a sense. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's worse than anything else. Yeah, it's really it. difficult. Packaging yeah, yeah. Is, is an absolute <laughs> yeah. minefield. <laughs> it's yeah, it's one. I think it's as you said, one of the biggest problem in uh, in the sustainability. And beauty. Uh, to finish, I want to ask you, I mean, you were you touched upon it, how to navigate sustainability as a startup business. If you had to give a young brand uh, some tips on how to approach sustainability, if they had, as you were saying, you can't focus on all of it at the same yeah. time. So you can't be clean. You, you know, obviously you can decide if you're going to have clean products, avoiding harsh chemicals and toxins. But if you had to like pick things, what would you, what, what would be your focus as, a, as sustainability? I would say that this has to be, you have to decide what your non-negotiables are. You have to decide what your priorities are and you have to make sure that they are never compromised and you have to communicate those endlessly and constantly throughout your <laughs> website, through your social media, through the of packaging course. itself, etc. And those are the things that you know that you have got spot on and the others will improve in time. I think it's impossible to be everything at once. Uh, and, and, you know, with things like certification, for example, we get people saying, oh, why haven't you got Leaping Bunny? Or why haven't you got uh, the Sunflower Vegan one? Or how, why haven't you got Soil Association Organic? And, and it's, it's, oh, it's, it's <laughs> each country also has different of priorities course. of different yes, certifications. Of and each one is an annual fee and takes about six months to set up. And um, it's really, really, really hard for numerous reasons to to tick everyone's boxes. With and that. you can't have everything. It doesn't make sense. You can't. And it doesn't no make sense either, to be honest. Yeah, no. So certifications yeah. is another one. Like maybe pick one. So we did pick Soil Association because they're partnered with Cosmos and they are one of the most broadly known in the UK and Europe and they cover lots of things. So yes, they're natural. Yes, they're organic. And that's their formal certifications. But then they also under that umbrella term, cover off things like um, okay. animal testing. So 
yeah, you, you have to basically come up with your priorities list and uh, tackle one thing at a time, but also realize that there is no right answer and you'll get conflicting information all the time and different brands might choose different things and that's okay. So for example, we're not into using bioplastics. It's just not going to happen. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to. It's complicated and there's no right answer there. So we choose to use pure aluminium and glass generally through our, mm-hmm. uh, for our packaging. But then you might get some people say, okay, but glass is heavier. And that's a fair point. But the point I'm trying to make here is that there's no right answer. There are pros and cons of lots of different things. And you just have to do the research, uh, be happy with the decision you're making and make sure that it works for your business and for your growth or else you, you and see it. what fits with your values and yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. amazing it's another, it's another matchmaking process <laughs> exactly it's all about matchmaking and just one more little question um just for uh, as a more personal question if you had to give an advice to someone who's trying to be more sustainable in their beauty routine mm. what kind of sustainable swaps would you like to see in the bathroom for example Tricky one. I would say the the, the instinct with this, particularly uh, if it's like January, I see this all the time and yeah. like, right, I'm going to empty my cupboards and I'm going to be sustainable from today. And I'm like, well, what you've just done is probably the worst thing that you could have done in that you've thrown it all away when half of it's not even used. So that is so true. It's a gradual process. It's <laughs> yeah. small swaps over long periods of time. Don't throw everything away in the in the idea that you're going to throw le- throw less away in the future because that's completely counterintuitive. I would say look at things that you buy often and dispose of and mm-hmm. focus on replacing those. So a good example might be a disposable razor. They're something that are made out of plastic and they all go in the bin and they're not recyclable. So look for a safety razor, which is a lifelong product. It might cost more to buy it at the first first time. It's everything, yeah. But that's it. That's that's You're done. It's made entirely out of metal. It's a way better shave as well. It's superior in every single way. And it's more sustainable as well. So that would probably be my advice is look at the things that you're disposing of regularly in your bathroom or skincare routine. And then focus on those first, because those are the ones that will have the biggest impact with regards to making more sustainable choices. Amazing. Thank you. I didn't I didn't think about razor. My last one is actually my deodorant, which uh, I, yeah. I bought from like a refill called Wild. So yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. So that's my last one. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for being with us today on The Forward Mind. It was really nice to speak to you and understand more about your brand. Uh, for us, for everyone listening, head over to theforwardlab.com to join the conversation, access the show notes and discover Upcircle Beauty and their website. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.